Welcome to the weekly sermons and studies podcast at First Baptist. Today's speaker is our senior pastor, Dr. Jeff Reynolds. Let's pray together. Lord, we're so thankful for the blood of Jesus that washes away all of our sin. And Lord, we're so thankful that there is no sin that is too powerful for the blood of Jesus. We're so thankful, Lord, that your blood is enough and that you shed it because you love us. And so, Lord, let us dwell in your love this day as we turn to your word. And we pray that we would see your love in a new light today. We would see your affection for us even when we have gone astray and your desire to be in relationship with us. And so, Lord, we pray that by your word and by your spirit, you would let us see Jesus high and lifted up and draw us all unto him. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I think one of the hardest things about living in a sin-fallen world is when you see people who are living far from God. And I think all of us who are a part of this service right now know somebody who's living far from God. And it's heartbreaking, isn't it? Somebody that we love, somebody that we care for, somebody that we want great things for, and we just watch them make decisions that continue to to push them away from the God who made them and and who sustains them and who loves them so much. And it's gut-wrenching, isn't it? Part of the reason it can be so heartbreaking is because for many of us, We know what it's like to be them. I don't know about you, but there have certainly been times in my life when I've been trying to get away from God as fast and as far as I could. And I can tell you how miserable that is. What a horrible place it is when you're trying to live your life outside of the comfort and grace and love of Almighty God who made you, who sustains you, who who desires to be in relationship with you. And so I think it's so heartbreaking when we see people living really far from God because we know what it is in many cases to be them, to feel that. And we don't want that for anybody. That's one of the reasons we support missions so much is because we know what it is to dwell in the warmth of God's presence. And we want people all over the world to dwell in the warmth of God's presence and in the light of his love. We don't want people to live far away from him. But there's another way that we can live far from God that looks a lot better. And this is the way in in many people's lives where everything looks great from the outside. But did you know everything can look great on the outside and you can be just as far away from God on the inside as somebody who doesn't look so great? Jesus is going to share a parable with us today. It's titled in my Bible, The Parable of the Prodigal Son. You're familiar with it. It's the most famous of all of Jesus's parables. It comes in Luke chapter 15. We're going to start at verse 11 and go through verse 32. If you're in the room, the red pew Bible in front of you, that is page 874. But I think that the translators of my Bible, the headings are not inspired. The translator added the headings in, okay? I think they got this heading wrong because I don't think this is just the parable of the prodigal son. I think this is the parable of the lost sons, and we'll see why. Jesus is talking with scribes and Pharisees, and Jesus' harshest words were reserved for the scribes and Pharisees during his earthly ministry. He, He called them whitewashed tombs. You look really shiny and clean on the outside, but everything on the inside is nothing but death. 
and you like to sit in judgment over the people that you deem to be real sinners. How many of you know some real sinners in your life? How many of you have been a real sinner at some point in time? Well, Jesus didn't reserve his harshest comments for the real sinners. He reserved his harshest comments for those who thought they were righteous. Jesus didn't have a whole lot of time for self-righteousness. He still doesn't. But there's a way that you can be living far from God, looking good on the outside, but everything on the inside is nothing but death and separation from him. Jesus is talking to the scribes and the Pharisees. He tells three parables in a row. He starts with the lost sheep. You know this parable. I remember reading about it in my children's Bible that my Aunt Erlene got me when I was a little boy. And the shepherd had 100 sheep. One of them went astray. What did he do? He left the 99 to go get the one who went astray. And what happened? There was rejoicing when the shepherd found the stray. And Jesus is telling this parable to illustrate to the scribes and the Pharisees that heaven rejoices when one sinner repents and comes home. Then he tells the parable of the lost coin. He talks about a woman who has 10 coins, but she loses one of them. So what does she do? Well, she doesn't say, well, I've got nine more, I'm good. No, she goes and looks frantically for the one that she lost. And when she finds it, she rejoices. And Jesus again says, there is joy among the angels of heaven over one sinner who repents. And so Jesus is trying to help the scribes and the Pharisees join in the rejoicing that these tax collectors and sinners are coming home to God through Jesus Christ, but they can't do it. So Jesus tells a third parable. And this is what we call the parable of the prodigal son, or what I would call the parable of the lost son. So look with me to Luke chapter 15. We're going to start at verse 11, and if you're taking notes, the theme for today's message is this. Jesus welcomes wayward souls, and Jesus welcomes me. Jesus welcomes wayward souls, and Jesus welcomes me. Luke, the physician, writes as he's carried along by the Holy Spirit, saying this, and he said, Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. 
Our first point today is this. Jesus welcomes the prodigal home when they repent. Jesus welcomes the prodigal home when they repent. This first sinner in the parable is the one we would all characterize as the real sinner. In fact, you don't even have to be a Christian to look at this parable and say, yeah, this is, this is the bad son. This is the one. He's the real sinner. And um, let's just walk through what he does. He goes to his father and says, I want my inheritance. Now, what is he saying to his dad? He's saying, dad, the only thing I need out of you is what I'm going to get out of you when you die. So I wish you were dead so that I could have what's coming to me. Isn't that sweet? Dad, I don't want you. I just want what I'm going to get from you. And since you're not dying on my timeline, why don't you go ahead and give me what's coming to me now? Well, the dad does. He divides his inheritance and gives this younger son his share of the inheritance. And what does the younger son do? He takes off. He takes off into a distant country and he squanders every bit of it. How does he squander it? On what the Bible calls wild living. We don't know exactly what that wild living entailed, but word had gotten back to the older brother that prostitutes were probably involved. He squandered everything. Now, I want you to think about something. We're talking about half of his dad's estate, an estate that had been passed down from father to son, and now from father to son yet again. Half of everything that this family has worked for, not only in the lifetime of the father, but also in countless numbers of generations, building this up to become everything that it is. And he goes through it like that. And all of a sudden, all of his newfound friends, how many of you know if you have a lot of resources, you can find friends and you can find friends quickly? Well, all of a sudden, when all of his wealth is gone and a famine hits the land, all of his newfound friends disappear. Nobody's giving him any resources. Nobody's there to comfort him and to encourage him. They all left. And he was left alone in the midst of a famine far from the father's house and he didn't know what to do. So what did he do? Well, he went and hired himself out to a pig farmer. You say, well, that's not a big deal. That's not the cleanest of work, but it's, you know, it's respectable work. But what you have to understand is that to the scribes and the Pharisees, to whom Jesus was telling this parable, there was nothing more disgusting to them than a pig. It was unclean for them to eat. In Leviticus chapter 11, verses 7 and 8, God had said, and the pig, because it parts the hoof and is cloven-footed, but does not chew the cud, is unclean to you. You shall not eat any of their flesh, and you shall not touch their carcasses. They are unclean to you. Throughout the Old Testament, there are times when God is referring to people who are pig flesh eaters. And even in Proverbs 11:22, like a gold ring and a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. The pig was a filthy animal that they were not allowed to touch. That was part of their food restrictions, their dietary restrictions as the people of God. Now, I'm thankful to live under grace because bacon is my friend, amen? My doctor may not think so. Anyway, this young man has squandered half of his father's everything. He has squandered everything that was coming to him. He has no friends. He's in a far country. 
Nobody's helping him, and the best he can do is to work in an environment that is unclean for him. Furthermore, he's so hungry that he longs to eat the pig pods that he's feeding the pigs. The irony here is he wants to eat the food for the food that is not food for him. He reaches rock bottom. You ever been there? You ever been to a place where every option you had was gone? Everything you thought you could try didn't work? And there you are, alone, wondering what, if anything, can come out of this to lead in a positive direction? He's at rock bottom. Now, you've got two choices when you reach rock bottom. You can keep digging. You can see if you can't find a new bottom. You can scratch at the rock upon which you now sit. Or you can do as he did and come to your senses. See, sometimes God allows us to reach rock bottom because that's where we have to get before we come to our senses. There have been times in my life where I was jolted by the consequences of my own decisions and wondered, what now? This young man is jolted by the consequences of his own decisions, and he wonders, what now? He begins to think about home, about the father's house, and he begins to think about everything that he had when he was there. You know, it wasn't as bad as he thought it was, and maybe, just maybe, he can go back to the father's house. And maybe, though he has taken away any possibility that he could be called a son, maybe he could be hired on as a servant. He knows the place. He knows the work. He knows the servants. Maybe he can get hired on, and he can at least live in proximity of the goodness in which he once lived. So what does he do? He comes up with a speech. He comes up with a speech. How many of you have ever practiced a speech to your parents in front of your mirror? <sighs> okay. So he comes up with his speech, Father, I have sinned against heaven. That's always your first sin, incidentally. When you sin, you sin against God first. But that sin will have uh, effects, collateral damage on others. Nobody sins alone and unto themselves. No, our sin always has collateral damage. So he said, I've sinned against heaven and against you. Let me come now and be as one of your servants. And once he gets his speech all worked out, he takes off towards home. And then Jesus says something remarkable. While he was still a long way off. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him. What does that tell us? It tells us that daddy was looking. It tells us that his father hadn't given up on him. His father hadn't discarded him. No, his father went out and looked in the direction of the journey to which he left, he looked. 
And he looked so often that while this young man was still a long way off, the father saw him. And how did the father respond? By sending servants to greet him? By sending guards to keep him out? No, the father responded by doing what was absolutely unconventional and unheard of for a dignified man of this man's stature. He girded his loins, he pulled his his outer garment up around his legs and took off running. You don't run if you're a dignified man in this culture. But he didn't care what everybody else thought about him because he saw his boy. And he was going to get to his boy. He wasn't going to send a servant to get to his boy. No, he was going to his boy. And what did he do? He ran to him and he embraced him. Literally, he fell upon him. I can only imagine that he must have been sobbing. And the boy, after his father embraces him and kisses him, no doubt with his dad still clinging to him, starts to rehearse his speech. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. And here's what's so amazing. The father doesn't even let him get his whole speech out. He says, no, my son who is gone has returned. Bring me a robe, bring me shoes, bring me a gold ring. Kill the fattened calf for my son who was gone has returned. He was dead and now he is alive again we must celebrate and the joy of that moment and I have to tell you every one of us to some degree or another has looked at God and said you know all I need out of you is what you give me I just need the resources that are coming to me what I don't need is your intervention in my life What I don't need is your intrusion in my life. What I don't need is your rules that I'm supposed to follow. What I don't need is you trying to control me. I just need the stuff. You can keep the rest. And we've taken off. You say, well, how do you know I've done that? Well, because the Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What happened with this boy? When he hit rock bottom, he quit digging and he turned and came home. He came back to the father's house. Now notice what he didn't do. He didn't come back to continue his wild living at the father's house. There's something so instructive in Jesus' parable. The father did not follow him into his sin, did not make rock bottom more comfortable, did not put, as I heard one preacher say one time, a fur lining in the pig pen. Had the father done that, the boy never would have come to his senses. So the father did what has to be the most heartbreaking part of parenting. Okay. That's what you want to do. I can't change your mind for you. And he let him go. But when he let him go, he didn't stop loving him. And when he let him go, he didn't stop looking for him. And when the, when the boy came home, he didn't grill him about what he had done. He didn't grill him about where the resources had gone. He just fell upon him, embraced him, and kissed him, and said, welcome home. Because this boy had repented. He didn't let him get his speech out because he didn't need him to get his speech out because the boy had come home. He was no longer squandering everything on wild living. He had come home. And when you come home to the Father, you find a welcome, an embrace, 
a life that was better than you thought it was, a welcome home. I don't know about you, but I'm awfully glad that Jesus told this parable about the prodigal son because there have been many times when I was still a long way off and God still saw me. And that person you're thinking of who's a long way off, I want you to hear God sees that individual. God's not done with them, but is willing to welcome them home as soon as they turn and come, just as you are. But then there's a next part of the story, isn't there? This isn't just the parable of the prodigal son. There's another son. Pick up with me at verse 25. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you and I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Our second point today is this. Jesus welcomes the self-righteous home when they repent. Jesus welcomes the self-righteous home when they repent. Here's the thing, the, the older son was the good one. He'd been out in the field working, come in from a hard day's work, hears music, sees dancing, wonders what's going on, and asks one of the servants, what is all this? And the servant says, your little brother's home. Come celebrate. Well, we learned something about the older brother. He gets mad. And when the father asks him to come, entreats him to come, he says, you know what, let me tell you something, Dad. All these years I've stayed right here, and I've done everything you've asked, and yet you've never even given me a young goat with which I can have a party for my kids. And now, not my brother, this son of yours comes home, and you kill the fattened calf. It's a special occasion for him, and you've never done anything for me. What did we learn just then? We learned that in the older brother's heart, though outwardly he looked like the good one, inwardly he did nothing but resent his father whom he viewed as a taskmaster for whom he was working until the father died and he finally received the inheritance that he earned. And what is Jesus doing talking to these scribes and Pharisees who are working so hard for God? He's revealing their hearts that though they are working hard for the Lord, they inwardly resent the God for whom they are working. It is not their loving father. It is their taskmaster for whom they are carrying out their duty so that they can earn what is rightfully theirs in the kingdom of God. And what is Jesus saying? That's not how it works. You don't earn anything in the kingdom of God. It is all by grace. The older brother was so mad that his little brother was back and they were having this celebration. 
He was the good one. He should have been the one that got the fattened calf. He should have been the one that was celebrated. But the problem was his heart was hardened to the work of God. His heart was hardened. These Pharisees and scribes should have been rejoicing that the tax collectors and sinners were coming to Jesus. And notice how they were coming. They were repenting. What did Zacchaeus say? Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. He said, if I've defrauded anybody anything, I pay it back. Do you know what that's called? Repentance. What was Matthew doing when he got up and left his lucrative tax collecting enterprise? He was repenting, leaving his old life to come home. They didn't, listen, Zacchaeus didn't keep cheating people after he came to Jesus. The younger brother didn't keep persevering in wild living when he came home to the father. You've got to turn away from it. You can't bring it with you. You've got to leave it and come to the father. But when you do, the father opens his arms and says, come on. And he doesn't even let you get your whole speech out because he's reading your heart. And he knows why you're there. And he loves you. And he welcomes you home. You know, this story ends in a cliffhanger. We don't get to see what the older brother does. Will he repent and say, Dad, you're right. This is hard because I saw how my brother broke your heart and I saw how my brother broke my heart and I lived that. But you know what? He's back and let's welcome him home. Did he do that or... Or did he stay mad and choose to dwell outside the Father's house? That's the point Jesus is making to the Pharisees and the scribes. Y'all going to stay mad that sinners, people that you deem real sinners, are coming home? Well, you will exclude yourself from the kingdom of God because you can't earn it. And just as much as those real sinners need grace, so also do you. So also do I. And so what do we do? We humble ourselves and we come to God saying, we're all real sinners in need of real salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. And as we prepare to step into Holy Week, we'll celebrate yet again that that real salvation is certainly possible through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank you for listening and we hope you'll join us next time. We'd love to connect with you just email connect at firstbaptistbg.org or call 270-842-0331.